My name is Penny Lacasso and I am the world's first happiness hacker. Imagine a world where human happiness and well-being drove our decision-making. A world where technology was used to amplify human potential rather than replace it. The Human First podcast is designed to encourage you to explore your curiosity about the future of humanity. Our conversations are focused on building skill in intentional adaptability, creating the foundation to positively influence the future for yourself, but also for others. Join me here each week as we put humans first. Welcome, Raymond, to Human First. Thank you so much for joining us today. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Penny. I wanted to start off with a pretty straightforward question. Tell us who you are as a human being. Well, that's interesting because that answer keeps changing, I found as I get older. Now, the thing I list first is father. But I've got twin 12-year-old boys, yeah. and I find kind of a, a bigger and bigger part of my life is focused on what am I doing with them, what example am I setting, how am I being a good curator of experiences for them. Then I should mention the other things that I probably usually list next are scientist and engineer, yeah. which... A lot of the times, you know, engineering has a lot of black and white thinking in it. There's a right answer and there's everything else. And uh, as a scientist, there's a lot of, you know, poking at things. Is that right? Is that what I want to do? It's been an interesting journey for me to try to evolve beyond that with my kids. Instead of saying, here's what you need to do. Here's what you should do. And I've got it in a box and follow the instructions or even, you know, let's question why are you doing this because I don't know that that's right it becomes much more and and this is this word that I really like it's about curating it's about finding things and setting them in their path and letting them experience it and take away what they want to take away from it sometimes leave a lot lying there that I'm you know still frustrated but <laughs> it, that's part of it anyway I'm, I'm going on but but yeah I think those things probably are my good uh trilogy of descriptions father scientist and engineer someone said to me recently rather than have a map in the context of how you um, help your children navigate the future it's more about giving them a compass and i was like oh i really like that analogy because like you say it's about sort of curating but um, there's so much a part of what that curation looks like and as a parent often it's hard to let go and allow them to do that you know i think i'll, I'll always have problems with that and probably about the time that I'm having grandchildren, I'll be having the same problems. But in some ways, it's a nice problem to have because it is about trusting their judgment and, and their natural facility yeah. for handling things. Uh, and also, you always hear the, the different homilies about uh, having the power to change the things that I should and the wisdom to not. And that's always been something that I kind of rail against. It's like, no, 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 let me change all the stuff that needs to be changed now. And letting go of that with kids is such a big deal. Yeah. So you mentioned you're a scientist, you're an engineer, you're also an entrepreneur. You're also very heavily involved with Singularity University as a member of their faculty. Tell us about what you spend your days doing with so many hats. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's one of those kind of fun things. It's been about 10 or 12 years now since I've, been able to sum it up on a business card. I actually just got a business card where I list a bunch of things and ran out of room. And it's, you know, basically says, you know, go on the web to find out more. I spend a lot of my time now working with really high tech and deep tech companies 
that are exploring some of the, the, the limits of what we can do with biotechnology, with computing, and trying to help out some of these really small startup companies do it and do it right and get through the usual potholes that startups have, but also working with really big companies, helping them do some technology strategy and direction. How are they going to work with some of these emerging fields? And now more and more with governments on the same thing. Governments are sort of the dinosaurs in the landscape. They're uh, slow moving and a little old fashioned, but really important. They have a lot of mass and their footfalls sort of echo throughout our lives. And so doing that and doing that right is a big deal. One of the big levers I have for doing all those things is as an investor. Uh, I like kind of applying my expertise and helping people do things, but sometimes you just need to throw a little money at some folks who know what they're doing and finding other like-minded people to do the same thing. That's a little bit of a new hat for me to wear, and it doesn't quite fit right because I've usually been on the other side where we're trying to find money to do something, but it's another nice way. It's a neat way of interacting in that ecosystem. You've been at the forefront of DNA sequencing in the work that you're doing. So how do you bring that ethical piece in when so much of, I think, what you're probably working in, it's never been done before. It's the unknown. So how do you predict the sorts of challenges? I think that that's both the hardest and the most rewarding piece. I remember working early with some biohackers and going to a a conference where people, the biohackers, I wanted to talk about the tools and the things that they were doing and how it would affect the future. And everybody who was there who was not a technician wanted to ask them, what does this mean and how will we apply this and what's going on? And it always boiled down to basically what are the ethics around this? Almost to a person, the biohackers were like, oh, I wish you hadn't asked me that because that's the last thing I thought about. And I thought that that was so funny at the time. It's like, here we are building these tools that will really profoundly affect the world as individuals and the whole landscape and the people who are building them are uncomfortable thinking about what to do with the tools. And I kind of think we're in a little bit of a renaissance, not just in the science and the technique, the technos and technology, but in how we think about how as technicians and gadgeteers and, and scientists and entrepreneurs, how we interact with this, that it is important to think about it, have a stance, and even more than anything, to communicate all of this. And that's kind of been one of my things, and especially the last 10 years, building these bridges where people can come and have a forum to talk about what they're doing and not just what works and what might work. And you know, scientists always want to couch everything in terms of, you know, perhaps if the conditions are right, this might produce a thing where we could consider. It's like, yeah, 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 but you know, kind of take off that hat and say, what are the things you dream about using this for? And what are the things you have nightmares about? Really share that because everything's moving so fast. We deserve, I think, as a society to know where things are going so we can have a little bit of a preview of coming attractions and try to get set right. How do we want to accept these things into our lives? To what extent do we not want to? Do we want to push back? Do we want to um, and, and I can go on and on and on, and I will, but let me mention one more thing. I, like, I think one of the biggest things, the concept to me of, of being a citizen, of being a, a good human being has evolved. And I kind of look at these different epochs and it, you know, it used to be protect your tribe, right? Back yeah. in early human civilization days. And now it's kind of gone on. So you can talk about the age of enlightenment 
and people coming and learning to read and, and learning to you know have this kind of public discourse. And a lot of that was around religion. It was around monotheism and having a Bible and being able to be a good parishioner. Yeah. And then it evolved into being a good member of a democratic society. And the last 200 years has been really interesting on that. Now, I really think there's this new level, which is we've got to know at the basic level what some of these technologies are and how they work and what should we be afraid of and what should we be promoting and what should we be voting for and funding and restricting uh, and, and how do we want to integrate these things into our lives or find ways to put some distance between us because those are the big questions of the age and it's on how we interact with computer networks and mass media and how biotechnology that affects not just medicine and, and how long we're going to live and, and all of these things and what it means to be a human being but our food supply and how many people we can support on the planet if you don't have some basic technological literacy about these things you're going to just listen to people sitting up on big podiums telling you to go throw certain switches and that's not right that's a, that's been a big motivation for me i want to see more people not just react and sometimes react badly but understand what's going on and I love it whenever somebody goes through one of our classes at a biohacker space or something that we put on at Singularity University and at the end of it they say yeah I'm even more scared of this now but for different reasons I'm like then we've done our job I mean we, we weren't trying to make you scared but we were trying to make sure you really get what the existential matters are that are involved with this I, and I will go on but I kind of wanted to to yeah. pause there, I just think that that's a, a huge deal. Just because we can create certain technologies doesn't always necessarily, like you alluded to, mean that we should, because perhaps it's actually not in our best interest. Is there anything out of interest that you've come across in your time where you've gone, just because we can do this, doesn't feel right? One of the ones that has always kind of struck me that way, and to me it's sort of it's sort of a simple one and done. It's like, yeah. what's the big deal? But uh, people who talk about cloning, you know, and people always come, do you think is cloning actually a possible thing? Could we do this with humans? I'm like, yeah, that, that's pretty easy, actually. And I've worked on livestock cloning projects and projects to clone uh, pets. Uh, one of the early things I did in my career was work with a group that was working on dog cloning and then work with an academic group that was doing cattle cloning and, and horse cloning. And... You know, and then once you get through the technique of doing this, humans are just another class of animal, and we actually have a huge amount of prior art where we understand what we're doing there. So people are always just like, well, oh, you mean it's possible? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, how long until we actually have a human clone? I'm like, I'm not sure that we don't already. And they're like, but isn't that awful? And I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, in one sense, a clone, Mm. Right? It's just twins, but one of them is maybe 20 or 30 years apart from the other one. Wow. And, and, you know, we have identical twins and we don't freak out. It's just like, oh, it's so cute. You dressed them alike. Or, oh, look how different, <laughs> you know, Aaron and Karen are, whatever. At the same time, it does seem like this really bad idea, right? And we kind of joke the decision for whether somebody should be allowed to have a clone is if they want a clone, then they probably shouldn't be allowed to have one. It just seems like a bad idea. You know, somebody who has that much hubris or something. Um, <laughs> a guy who, who works in my field is, gets questions like this all the time. His name's Jason Bobe, and he's a, a 
policy expert and a legal expert around a lot of these matters. I remember it was really telling somebody had asked him, it wasn't about cloning, I think it was about genetic engineering. And they kind of put out this doomsday scenario and said, you know, what about that? And that sounds like a really bad idea. Let's not do that. I kind of think that that ought to be our answer to a lot of these things. It, it doesn't have to be, what if this technology lets us do this? Or is we should build all these gates around. It's like, let's just decide not to do it and then enact proper controls. Let's tell people yeah. why we're deciding not to do it. And, and convince people, other people, where they wouldn't want to do it, and then talk about, do we really need to restrict the tools, or do we want to restrict the actions that people take with the tools? Uh, oh, I like and, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you are part of, or you, you co-founded a group called BioCurious. I'm very intrigued, given the work that you do. What is it that you are curious about at the moment? i got to say, the big thing that's kind of going on in my, in my field that I'm super excited about is the renaissance in genetic engineering and the tools and not just the tools and the techniques, but the different areas that we're applying them in. Mm. And so there's, you know, everybody kind of likes to camp out around this idea of human genetic engineering and me too. I think it's exciting. There's a lot of good stuff going on, but uh, just before we got online together, I saw, a little article from some guys at University of Washington. They've genetically edited a house plant so that it will go ahead and pull all the different toxins out of the air, like formaldehyde and different volatile organic chemicals. And so we have plants that do that naturally now, but they're kind of hard to raise as house plants. And they did it on this pothos ivy, which people who can't keep a cactus alive can make this stuff thrive. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just, I got really excited. I was like, oh man, I want that. And I could plant that all over. And I hadn't even considered <laughs> doing this. And, and that whole sick home syndrome where anytime you get a mattress or you use cleaning chemicals, you know, you are bringing these things into your environment. And so this would be this great way to use genetic engineering. And it's, it's just a little thing, but our future is going to be so many of these little crazy, wonderful things. Yeah make life so much easier and better so oh, I like a bit of a quirky question for you what one thing do you wish people would ask you in interviews that they never do people always ask me about these kind of obvious but wrong problems with the technology i wish they would ask more about you know what are the things we really should be scared of not just here's this aren't you scared of this shouldn't we be scared of this what do you think can go wrong but just like what are sort of the non-obvious issues and problems that happen with this technology? And what would you say? There are a few things that keep me up at night. The biggest thing is, and this is, you know, this is a little bit of a, the judo spin on that question. That whenever people want to talk about the scary stuff, I'm like, the scariest thing is something goes wrong and we overreact and we wipe out some whole piece of technology by legislating against it. Mm. That doesn't even have to be on a legislative level. It can be on a societal level where people are just like, oh yeah, we don't like that. It can be like the reaction to GMOs or on an even more kind of fringe place, the reaction to vaccines. I love that people ask questions and don't just accept, you know, here's this technology, you should use it, it's fine. It's like, whoa, 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 but what about this? It's like, okay, but I do like, you can present the evidence and show that it is really fine. I would like to see more people let that go 
and not worry about the weird thing that is not happening, but worry about the real thing. And I think we're shutting some things down. We're making it harder or even spookier than that in some of the established high tech societies that we've got, we're making it harder and harder to do the work. And so it's moving to these places that are kind of these islands in the network, right? And you don't want failed states to be the only places working on this or people with black government programs or really scary dependencies on profit and loss cycles where they're running forward without any controls. You want this to be out in the open. So that that's my scariest thing. But I've got two things that I kind of bug me about biotech in particular that I don't know how we're going to handle. One of them is everybody always worries about some biohacker or bioterrorist coming up with a killer virus. And it turns out that's much harder to do. And, and that just means now eventually it will be easier and easier to do because we have all these great tools that people are getting. But it's still, it's, it's at the bottom of the list of some scary possibilities. What does turn out to be fairly easy to do is maybe setting up a killer virus or a killer parasite for agriculture, like to make some specific crop, specific thing. And I worry about that because I think that could be a way that governments or economies do some warfare and the result will be at best higher food prices and at worst famine for some group of people. That's worrisome. But the one that really kind of worries me is, so everything's got two potentials, right? Yeah. And I, even something as mundane like a, a car as a tool yeah. can rush emergency supplies to people or it can be driven into a crowd by a maniac. And we see some of that happen already. We are looking at, we're getting up to this point where we're gonna probably ban banish infectious disease There'll be incredible things we can do. And, and one of the tools that will get us there is this ability to use synthetic biology to reprogram these kind of worker cells, things like algae or yeast, to make anything we wanted to make. And fairly early in this process, we're already starting to make different drugs with this. And it won't be long until there's about 400 basic drugs that the UN World Health Organization lists that you really have to have to have a comprehensive uh, medical capability and in like 30 years ago it was 100 so you can get an idea that we're kind yeah. of moving up this chain and a lot of those are expensive to make or maintain or they're under patent and so they're just expensive to acquire through our system but if you could reprogram a tiny little bit of yeast to produce something and you've got this library with tiny file drawers and you could literally reproduce the library by having the yeast divide and go ahead and take this to any village in the world or any remote Antarctic outpost or on Mars or places where just people don't have access. That. And that's, that's amazing. So that's in that miracle category. Now here's the scary part. In those 400 drugs are all the opioids are all of, or many things that could be misused and would be addictive. And outside of those 400 drugs, are some things that would be even easier to produce that are nothing but addictive, harmful recreational drugs. Wow. And so, so we're gonna have this two-headed dragon that in one side, one head will have this beautiful purifying cleansing fire that makes it possible for everybody to get access to whatever medicine we have today. 
And on the other side, it's going to make it so simple where somebody doesn't even have to do the little bit that they have to do to go purchase cocaine mm. that, that, that is only controlled and kept at a high price because it's made from a poppy yeah. that is, you know, kind of exiled to certain geographical areas. It's something that somebody could do as easy as making bread in their kitchen. They could go ahead and make whatever designer drug they want. And every society in the world will have to deal with this. And every individual will, to some extent, have to deal with easy, cheap access to whatever that frightens me to death. Oh, so much I can ask you. So I'm going to take our conversation back to where it started when we met at Singularity University, which was around your, we both have a passion for children and education because we both have children. And obviously we understand that some components of education need to fundamentally shift in order to skill our children for the future. You have uh, said that you're raising your boys to be superheroes. So from an education perspective, based on, you know, the sorts of educational programs you would come into contact with, the average person wouldn't come into contact with, what, what is it that you think is sort of the key skills for your boys to be able to thrive in the future? Such a great question and such a big question. It's one of the things, and I remember I asked you the same things. Some of the things, I think there are like two or three big groups of questions, and some of it's around how do you learn how to learn? Like, how do you learn how to acquire knowledge? And I think what we do now, you know, so many schools, and especially in the United States public school system, but uh, other places are, a lot of places are worse and some places are maybe a little better. It's all about just having a babysitting service to get people yeah. to, you know, <laughs> follow a line. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and sometimes we're, we're training people for jobs that aren't going to exist, which is almost as bad as training them for jobs. I don't know, just, I don't, I don't like either one. So we, we tend to do a lot of rote stuff and make it really easy and we serve the lowest common denominator with the idea we don't wanna leave anybody behind, but at the same time, it's not challenging to anybody either. And then only later on in education do we really start to explore some of these bigger topics about why does this make sense? How did we get there? What's going on? Creativity a lot of times gets left on the side of the road. I actually tried in a practical way to instill in the boys this idea that knowledge is good for knowledge's sake. And whenever we're learning something, we're learning how we learn it at the same time. So along with arithmetic, we were also doing number theory. Yeah. And like one practical way to do that is we started talking about numbering systems and counting and why does counting matter how is zero different from one and one different from two using a lot of graphics and examples and always trying to disprove something or come up with a new way to do it and that was that was a big thing and that's that's a little i still don't have a great handle on the do a lot of those pieces but it's a theme that runs through it's like how do we learn what we learn we do the same thing with languages instead of just learning vocabulary and spelling and things we always, if we can, we take a word and break it down into what it means. And some things are really simple. They get rewards for bringing up new words. They can always interrupt to ask what a word means and to come up with a word. And so we, we play a lot with language and that, that's fun. Uh, whenever they were little bitty babies, we actually did tapes in the womb and then in their, where their cribs were uh, that were playing different languages morning, noon, and night. Wow. Uh, 13 different languages because we have Silicon Valley there's so many people that we work with who are from different cultures it's like I want you to record these hundred words and these greetings and this 
you know, this conversation will just play it. So they'll be exposed to these phonemes and then they would repeat things in English and whatever language, mess that one up because the kids started saying things in languages that I didn't know. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know how to respond. It's like, we did a little sign language and a little Spanish, but now they, they actually can pronounce a lot of things uh, because they were exposed to the sounds very early. Wow. But we, we haven't kept up except in English and Spanish. And, and even then, I wish we had done better. But they've got this facility for acquiring new things because they've got this framework that is, I think, not unique, but is fairly broad. And I love that part. There's also, and I'll mention two more things, there's also around this idea of especially technology and, and, and measurement and numbers. So, so instead of doing science, we did a lot of examples and we would talk about why it's important to measure things, teaching them how to use tools and teaching them like, They'd be like, Dad, how far is it to here? It's like, I don't know. How far do you think it is? And do you think it's farther from Grandma's house to here or from here to there? How do you find that out? You can go ask Google, but how else would you do it? If we got there and drove, so how do you get a number for something? You know, or they say, Dad, how much is this worth? I don't know. What do you think? And then how would you find that out? And then, so they've gotten really good at doing things, even just like estimating by eye or figuring out how many jelly beans are in a container or how much money a company makes. I love that as a, you know, as I've kind of leveled up as a, a, an entrepreneur and investor and stuff, yeah. you need to be able to understand what goes into making a product or other things. So they've got like incredibly crazy plans for lemonade stands that involve, <laughs> you know, internet marketing and stuff because they have always used that as their example of how things work. Um, and they've got a full valuation model of their lemonade stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How old are they? They turn 12 tomorrow. <laughs> and, but but it, it's so much fun. And, you know, I'm still disappointed so much that I want to actually do yeah. that we haven't done. And I, I failed so badly at spending as much time and having all the examples in front of them I want to. But at the same time, I celebrate the times when it succeeded. The, the last thing, and this is my very favorite thing, and it's made such a difference in their attitude. Early on, I told them that they would be rewarded, would be fabulously rewarded anytime they found one of their elders, one of, an, an, an adult who was wrong about something, prove that they were wrong about something, and they could do it politely. Oh, my son would love that. <laughs> and, and so if I said, oh, the train leaves at three, they're like, no, dad, it doesn't. It leaves at 3.05. You didn't speak precisely and the schedule here shows it. And I just wanted to point that out because I think we might need that extra five minutes. And then it's like, okay, you get more screen time or $5 on your allowance, or you get to pick where we're eating today or something. And uh, right up to questions of ethics and morality. So they are not at all afraid for the most part, to speak truth to power. Whenever somebody says something, whenever I have other adults visiting, they'll come up to the table and listen politely and say, excuse me, but I actually think that that would be quite harmful and this is why. And some people think that it's precocious and a little bit of a pain. And some people are just amazed that they have opinions and can express them. But you know, that was the thing, you gotta be able to prove it, you gotta be articulate about it. And you gotta be nice, you can't just say wrong and make somebody feel bad. I just finished writing a blog yesterday off the back of a, a program we ran called the Curiosity Challenge, which was all about teaching people how to be curious beings rather than looking at curiosity as something you did when you had spare time, when we know no one's got spare time. And the blog's actually called um, What Is Success? Like proving everything you thought was correct was wrong. 
And I was like, this is a conversation I need to have with my son because I think the most important thing we can teach them is how to actually challenge every thought that you have um, and look at channels to actually prove it ro it's wrong because it will only make you more curious. But I love what you've just said. I'm now going to extend that to actually getting my son to proving others wrong and especially elders, but do it politely. I think that is gold. We started out with just the first two rules and then fairly quickly added on that last <laughs> one, which makes it bearable. And, and you know, I, I think it's easy to, to get kids who are precocious in that bad way you've got to go ahead and let it push the limits but yeah I, I love that and they it's really it's something we did from a really early age and they've kept at it and their mom and I are both fairly confident individuals who don't have a problem having an argument trying to hold our own and they just will step right up to us and say mm -mm, nope and here's why and sometimes just even mm -mm, nope I don't believe that it's like well okay but I do they're like, you can, you can believe what you want to, but here's my thing. And I don't need to make a case. They're already like these little independent thinkers. And, and, and like you say, and I can tell from your creativity challenge, it's, it's that it goes back. And I think it's Mark Twain. It's uh, the things that get us are not the things that we don't know, but it's the things we think we know that just ain't so. Yeah. It's right. I'm going to leave it there, Raymond. Thank you so much. Every time I talk to you, you help me look at the world through a different lens. And I, they're the, the conversations that I love having. So thank you so much for making the time today. I can't have a better thing said to me ever. So I appreciate that so much. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Thank you for joining us today on the Human First podcast. If you loved your experience, please take a moment to leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher and provide us with a rating. If you'd like to access the show notes or learn more about what we're up to in the context of humanizing the future, jump on over to humanfirstpodcast.com. See you next week.